Welcome to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. I'm your host, Dom Horse. This is a podcast about the business of marketing, how to create value, who's doing it well, and how you can help your business win the future. Have you heard of misophonia? It's a disorder in which certain sounds trigger extreme emotional or physiological responses that others perceive as unreasonable. I have it. One of my triggers is the sound of an apple being eaten. I feel unreasonably violent when someone eats an apple near me. Crisp packets, popcorn and mobile phones on speaker have the same effect. But recently it's not just sounds that are triggering emotional responses in me. Phrases are starting to do it too. Data-driven decision-making is a phrase that makes me reach for the nearest sharp object. Sales and marketing alignment makes me want to run away and work in a beach bar. And on the agency side, ooh, rate card makes me wretch. What happened to the magic in marketing? What happened to creative leadership? Are we really doomed to a dystopian destiny driven by data and auditor-like marketers? Bring me the mavericks. Show me the things I can't comprehend. Wow me with lateral thinking and non-linear results. That's how I feel. And it's why we're in the studio today. We were speaking to today's guest about our dilemma. And while we were shooting the breeze, he said, So many organizations are drowning in a sea of sameness. And that really resonated with me. I mean, it did it immediately. And then he said, Wouldn't it be good if a CMO came with a creative vision? And I knew at that stage, I absolutely had to get him in the studio. So here we are with a podcast about how creative vision can drive performance for forward-looking businesses. In a few moments, you are going to meet Jörg Kluckmann, head of marketing at the world's largest financial technology company, Finastra. Jörg started his career in tech, working for the gorilla in the e-commerce space around the millennium, a business called Intershop. And you know what? I remember them well. They were the first standard for e-commerce, and they are still going today. Sadly, Shopify's taken the market, but man, I remember them. They were great. Anyway, Jörg spent the next 15 years working through product marketing to product management, through go-to-market and brand management, ending up as VP Demand Generation at Software Arge. You're going to love our conversation, so let's go to the studio right now and meet Jörg. Hey, Jörg, thank you very much for coming in and welcome to the Unicorny Project. Thanks for having me, Dom. Happy to be here. There aren't many people I speak to in this studio that come from a product background. And I think product marketing, even in technology, is way overlooked these days. You know, we find a lot of people who come into marketing on the lead gen or demand gen side and stay there. Through that and through your cloud GTM experience, you've got product, you've got price, you've got place. And now, obviously, with growth marketing, promotion comes more to the fore. And Dom, you're spot on. <laughs> I think... It's super helpful to start in product because you need to understand what you sell. If you don't have that understanding, you will struggle to uh, identify market segments, geos, personas, messaging. So you need to understand what are the pain points we solve with our tech. And I think it's a great starting point for a marketing career coming from product, understanding how value is being created, how problems are being solved on the customer side. I think it's absolutely key to be a good marketer. What sets organizations apart is product. And that's one thing I also like about the take that Vista 
um, the private equity who owns, which owns Finastra. What I like about Vista is they put product in the focus. So product and development is the most important thing for a B2B tech company. Because if your product is bad, you can have the best marketing, the best sales in the world, the company will fail. You have a great product, a really good product. Your marketing cannot be as good. Your sales cannot be as good. It will still be successful because the product is key. So me saying that as a marketer yeah, is a bit hard, but I believe product's absolutely key. And everybody that goes to an organization or joins an organization should go through intense product training. I think that should be a prerequisite. But I think also the discipline that you learn as a product marketer, when you're looking at feature sets, when you're looking at how you're going to wrap a product and how you're going to package it and take it to market, I think that leads you into another level of understanding that those who are just in lead gen maybe don't have. For example what is your customer's compelling reason to buy your product at whatever stage of the life cycle they're at? And I don't think many marketers think like that these days. You're right. When we were in our warm-up call before this podcast, you said, wouldn't it be great if a CMO came into role with a creative vision for the business? Can you help me understand, define creative vision? And the way you said it, it felt like you feel that that's absent from today's market. So what's a creative vision? And when did you first feel that it was lacking? I can be very concrete. Uh, there was a situation not too long ago where I clicked on an ad from a competitor because I thought it's ours. I was a little bit shocked because um, I, I could swear it's, it's, it's one from the company I was working for back in the days. It really made me think. Uh, and I looked at the post and I saw that the colors were pretty similar. Back in the days, it was light blue. Everybody had light blue. The imagery was pretty replaceable. Stock photography. A man and a woman sitting at a desk uh, uh, laughing, having a laptop in front of them. The copy was very similar. So I looked at it and it became very, very obvious to me that we are not on the right way in marketing. We do a lot of A-B testing. We do a lot of data-driven decisions. But over time, this led to the sea of sameness. The distinctiveness then that you're striving for, is that because it's easy to copy or is that because everyone knows you are successful and wants to emulate that? I think it's both, but there are more reasons to it. I believe the major reason is it's very easy to kill a crazy idea. These days, if you get into a meeting with senior um, executives and you want to discuss an idea that might be a bit different, could be a content format, could be uh, creative, could be uh, text that is different. It will be provocative because it's different. And it's easy to shut it down. Right? It's really easy to shut it down. Also, innovation projects. Um, people can ask a question, how many marketing qualified leads will it bring? Um, how much pipeline will you source with it? And you probably can't tell because it's an innovation. You don't know. You can make stuff up, but then people say, oh, you just made it up, prove it with data. How would you have the data to prove it if it's a new idea? So I think what happened over time is marketing started as an art. When I started my career, I said uh, 2000 at Intershop, marketing was an art. You could do creative stuff. You could do crazy stuff. There was less talk about data and performance, which, I mean, it was the other side of the extreme. I don't want this word back. Don't get me wrong. But over time, this art really turned into science. And I, I see it in my own career. Over time, I spend more and more time in performance reviews, marketing performance, campaign performance reviews, and quarterly business reviews, talking about conversion from MCL to MEL to MQL to SS1 to SS2, SS2 value, um, uh, uh, all, all that good stuff, right? And and it's good because it's it's database decisions. You, you got to do it. But over time, I think this led to the fact that the innovation and and the creative part 
kind of disappears almost because this is stuff you can't really measure. You can't measure how creative is this. Yeah, um, You can't base that on data. And yeah, that led to many companies doing the same thing. The audit mindset's really important. If you're an auditor, it doesn't really help you much if you're a marketer and, and, and all you're doing is looking backwards, trying to analyze data. And I get what you mean about that sort of sea of sameness that you know, there are many, many businesses, you cannot identify them from their communication online. It's impossible. So how do you think marketers can incorporate a creative vision into their strategy then without alienating those stakeholders? Anything that's done by committee is always done down to the lowest common denominator. It can't just be about braveness. Well, Dom, the way I do it is um, I have my budget and, and I have my team, right? Best team I ever had. Really mean it, right? Really great, great people. And what I do is I reserve a certain percentage for innovation. I should probably not use the word, but I'll, I'll do it. It's the playground. Where we say we test stuff, and it could be something um, like Finastra TV that we uh, that we launched our own streaming channel. I believe I talk about it later a bit, or it could be um, some new creative or new content format we're gonna play with. So that we really say we have that budget available, and this is the test balloon. This is where we try new stuff, and we see if it works or not. The important thing is if I say we see if it works or not is how much time do you give? Uh, you need to make sure you give an innovation enough time to flourish because if you kill it too soon, right, you will never know if it would have been successful or not. So you need to understand, okay, I give it a year or two or three years to really decide if it's successful or not. If it's not successful, you got to be bold enough to kill it and to try something else. But you, ha you have to give it a time. That experimentation mindset should be a core part of a marketer's arsenal. And it is but more on a micro level these days. So we do this experimentation um, with A-B testings and campaigns, yeah, with media activation, all that. We do that, right? With creative attacks and all that. But that's micro, as you say. It's micro, exactly. It's not on the strategic level. On the strategic level, I don't see that happening too often. And I think what a CMO has to have in mind, at least in my definition of a CMO, is what's the next big thing for us. And us is not marketing, us is the company. And this relates back to the understanding of products and, and roadmap and markets. So the CMO needs to understand this is the next big thing. That's the next tech. That's all big bet. And then that person needs to think about what can we do to make that stick out? What can we do to cut through that noise, to be seen in the sea of sameness? Yeah? What, what is that? Can be channel, could be a media format, could be a provocative statement. But I think this needs to come back. Marketers need to think, how can we differentiate? How can we be unique? And I think not everybody is there yet. Can you think of companies whose work you admire creatively mm. in the B2B space? Well, I like the stuff that Monday.com and ClickUp are doing. It's WorkOS platforms or task management platforms. Very creative, uh, very different. Also, if you see a Monday.com booth at the big conference, you'll, you'll see it's Monday.com. It always looks a, a bit crazy. But I mean, those are um, SaaS companies, almost like, I mean, I wouldn't say Monday is a startup anymore. Yeah? They are public, so it's a big, big company, but you can tell they, they carried some, some startup mindset over. How do you think a big creative vision translates into metrics? I mean, kind of been in field territory here, the long and the short of it. You know, there's a lot of evidence now that brand can campaigns, brand marketing has an immediate impact on short-term objectives. Do you think that applies in B2B as well as it does in B2C? Yes, I think so. If you find a way to cut through the noise, to be seen, I believe it will have a positive impact on your top of funnel metrics. Could be metrics to measure in your social media engagement, could be uh, website traffic. Also, if you measure advocacy uh, metrics, um, uh, in your organization could have an impact there as well. I mean, ultimately, it all comes back to, to the point, do something that creates awareness, 
where people say, oh, I, I want to understand what that is. But then you need to make sure that the positive impact on top of funnel metrics translate down to middle of funnel and bottom of funnel. And again, this goes back to what we said in the beginning. Don't just stop with coming up with a crazy cool idea and something that looks different where people say, oh, wow, I want to figure out what it is. And then it breaks. Then you need to be able to understand, okay, this person comes from a certain segment. It's part of a certain CAM constrained addressable market as relevant for my organization. What's the pain point uh, the person might be facing? What's our solution to that pain point? And move that prospect into a right campaign bucket. Demand gen talking now. Yeah, so... It's too short to say, let's just do the crazy stuff. Let's just go to the playground and, and do something about marketing likes. It needs to be the big thing for the business. That needs to be integrated. The great, crazy idea needs to be integrated with sellable products. Yeah, I love that. The link, you know, as you move down the funnel, really understanding how you're changing the opinion in the minds of your prospects. You, you may have heard Daniel Priestley actually the week before last. He had a really nice way of phrasing that, which was when he communicates, or when he's pitching in his verbiage, he asks himself the following question. What do I want the people I'm communicating with to think differently about when they go to bed tonight than they did when they woke up this morning? And I think kind of if we always have that front of mind, the thought, what are we trying to change? Or how am I going to change that in this particular communication? You can probably then thread everything together, can't you? Yeah, it's a good way of uh, saying it. Yeah. So it's one thing for a small startup or you know a nimble business that it's in the early stage of its life to have a creative vision and then work it. But when you are the biggest financial technology business in the world, that comes with an enormous amount of complexity. So then with a creative vision, how do you make sure that that vision permeates through the teams? Because also a lot of marketing is done by people without marketing their job title these days. Yeah, that's a good question, um, because you can have the best vision. If it's not being executed, it's completely pointless. Uh, so execution is absolutely key. The way I do it, we use a platform called ClickUp, yeah, which you just talked about it. It's um, a task management uh, software um, SaaS product. Can really recommend it, similar to, to Monday.com, which I worked in the past. What I uh, do in ClickUp is I uh, build the Eisenhower time management metrics out for my team members, for my direct reports, is it important and is it uh, and urgent? Do it now. Is it um, important, not urgent? Schedule it. That that good kind of. If you don't know it, Google it. It's sounds pretty simple, but it's really good way to to manage tasks. And um, this is how my team and I manage our tasks. And we we use that metrics. We go through it and categorize tasks and prioritize them. So we are always on the page who needs to do what until when. And they do it with their teams as well. So this is kind of like a, a technical tool that really helps us with uh, with that. But ultimately, the way I break it down is um, I try to formulate a marketing strategy for, for the next year, for the different functions I, I run. This strategy is then being discussed with our four different business units, lending, payment, treasury and capital market and universal banking. They look into that, they approve stuff, they disapprove stuff, they add stuff, they take stuff out so that everybody understands what's our marketing strategy. And then what adds some complexity to that, we, we obviously have kind of a, a company layer, Finastra, with some umbrella campaigns. Finance is open is our big mantra. So we are one of the front runners for that finance soap movement. But as I said earlier, this should not just stay on the umbrella level. It needs to be integrated with the campaigns from the business units. And that's why we make that connection from, from awareness to demand gen. Long answer, yeah, um, to summarize that. Uh, a yearly strategy where we understand, okay, what are the key campaigns from the business units? What are the markets? What are the personas? What's what's messaging? We share what we plan to do in central. Uh, what are the, What's the tech we're going to add? Uh, what umbrella campaigns do we going to run? Do we onboard new agencies or not? 
well, then your services we can add, like um, uh, intent-based marketing, something like that. Then we bring all of that together. And then we make it uh, operational uh, by managing our tasks uh, in ClickUp. And is your instance then, if it's being managed through ClickUp, that's kind of where you're managing your playbooks. Is that the whole of the marketing organization? Everyone has access. And is, is everyone also putting all of their campaigns in? Or is that something where the content is centrally driven? The name for ClickUp is um, our uh, central go-to-market control tower. It's kind of like two purposes. One is task management. The other one is really to have a consistent view on our go-to-market. As said, our structure is pretty sophisticated with four different business units and then the, the horizontal um, uh, layer. So we need to understand who is planning what, when, where. Because we need to avoid conflicting campaigns. It could be that there's a lending campaign and a payments campaign going after the same persona at the same time. And we have to avoid that. So that's why we need that control tower. And we need to run impact analysis to see is there a problem or not. When I started my career, again, going back yeah, back in the days, you would have like 20 different PowerPoints describing marketing plans. Those PowerPoints would be outdated the next day uh, when they were created. Uh, you wouldn't find them anymore these days because they uh, either in SharePoint or you store them somewhere else, right? It, it would be a mess to say, show me which campaigns are running in Asia Pacific in Q2 for a certain product. It would take you weeks to find it out. Once you found it, it's outdated. That's a nice thing with a tool like ClickUp or Monday, whatever it is. You just create your dashboards uh, and your filters and everybody adds in the content. I mean, this is absolutely mandatory. Then you see with a click of a button what's going on. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way productivity tools have come on. And, you know, SharePoint, as you say, it's impossible to try and manage any kind of activation activity, which is actually just a, you know, a file server mentality ported into the cloud. But when it's task-led, it makes a great deal more Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. And, and um, I started to work with Monday.com, I believe now, five years ago, six years ago. And it was eye-opening for me. I played with that uh, with a free trial and thought about what I can do with it with my team. And, and I implemented that at Software AG back in the days was the largest Monday.com implementation in, in Germany. And the full marketing team ran on it. And, and what was really a sheer beauty was to see how people discovered after some time the value such a tool adds. In the beginning, they would be hesitant. Oh, we do that in, in spreadsheet, right? Um, uh, uh, oh, we do it in PowerPoint. We, do, we don't need it. But if you put all your tasks in a repository, you put some reports on top, it does not just help you to be better organized yourself. It also helps you to visualize the work you do. Because you can put dashboards on top and show, oh, those are the number of activities I did for the business unit A or business unit B or for that campaign. Look at all the, the, the things I'm doing. It helps you to show what you're actually doing. And it's not even talking about uh, cross-team collaboration. So I could not think of an organization, modern marketing organization, distributed virtual marketing organization such as mine, functioning without a tool like that. Could not see it. I'm sure the sea of sameness Jörg describes will be no stranger to you. I started today's show with a little rant about my misophonia, or more particularly, the phrases that make my teeth itch. I mentioned that sales and marketing alignment is one of them, and I know I'm going to get some flack for that, so let me explain. Marketing and sales should only come into contact when a great deal of marketing has already taken place. There's a really good infographic from a group called the Proper Marketing Club that's been doing the rounds on LinkedIn for about a year now. And I'm going to put that graphic or a link to it in the show notes. Anyway, it visualizes marketing as a journey with three starting points. One is marked, many businesses start here, and the starting point is product. One is marked, most marketers start here, and the starting point is promotion. The last is marked, proper marketing starts here, and the starting point 
is market orientation. In between the proper starting point and promotion is where most of the marketing takes place. Things like research, segmentation, targeting, competitor analysis, positioning and more. Right at the end of the marketing process, that's where you find promotion. And that's the bit that bumps into sales. And by the way, it's only misaligned if the previous work hasn't been done and your sales leaders haven't been brought into that process. The sea of sameness I'm seeing in the market today is the same I saw in the 90s and again in the early 2010s. It's what happens when marketing, or I should say the business focuses marketing on promotion and features. Coming up, Jörg blows me away when he talks about Finastra TV. It is an incredible story. And while you may be thinking, "Mm, yeah, but we haven't got the budget for that kind of thing, follow the thought process, not the output. You may not be able to start your own TV channel. It might not even be right for your market. But follow the process, not the output, and you might come up with some interesting ideas because you know best how to target and position in your market, especially if you've done your research. You know how successful your promotional communication will be ahead of time because you understand the personas you're marketing to. And if you've included your sales leaders in the process, alignment comes bundled. Now, before speaking about Finastra TV, I wanted to pick up on the trend we first encountered with Andrea Clatworthy when we talked about, is marketing transformation the next big thing? So one of the things when we had our chat online before this that really struck me is that you're implementing a trend that I've seen in a couple of enterprise businesses at the moment where you're both centralizing and decentralizing at the same time. We're calling this on the Unicorn Project, the big marketing transformation. It's new, I think, and it's enabled by exactly this kind of technology where the brand and the core corporate messages are controlled quite tightly from using a control tower type, but you're decentralizing loads of the decision making for your GTM into the divisions or geographies or however your matrix is working. And I think it's an interesting trend, this. It, it absolutely is. I've seen a few companies now these days that, that I worked for in the past that, do, uh, that are doing the same thing. And, and I think it's the right thing to do. At, at Finastra, the reason for breaking into the full business unit was to bundle everybody that needs to have domain expertise for a certain topic. Lending, treasury, universal banking, payments, I mentioned it. Yeah. So if you're in the business unit, you have to have the payments or lending, domain expertise. You need to understand the market, the trend, the tech, all that. Now, horizontally, we also have domain expertise, but not for payments and lending. We have domain expertise for buying media, uh, for campaign execution, for creative, on how to build a brand, how to have a great digital user experience on our web entities, uh, the tech stack, right? What what capabilities do we need to add? Do we have redundant capabilities that we could phase out? So th- th- this is the, dom- the domain we are having. So ultimately, it's a matrix of a product. Again, coming back to product. Product, domain, knowledge in the BU, and marketing, domain expertise horizontally across the BUs. And I think it's a superior model, for sure. But if you have that model, it comes with a certain complexity that you have to manage. And that's why you're absolutely right. You need tools like that. There's another complexity layer I need to add. So I hate to do it, but I'm German and we have to to add complexity all the time. It's the post-COVID virtual distributed team management thing. So my, my team is distributed across the globe. I got a big population in, in Manila. So if you hear that, hello team Manila, uh, I have a population or a team in, in Bucharest and in Romania, then obviously here in, in London and Paddington. Then I have team members in the US. Funnily enough, nobody in Germany, but it's a very, very distributed team. And the only way to keep that together is through 
Teams, MS Teams helps a lot, but task focus collaboration in ClickUp on Monday, a task management platform. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. Are you running your team as an, effectively as an internal agency? Like the old model might have been that you'd have generalist marketers in-house and you bring specialist agencies into support as you need them. But part of the marketing transformation we're seeing is like the activation works being done in some of these enterprise businesses we're talking to by an internal agency. So the kind of the, the stuff you'd normally put an agency on a rate card for. Like, why put them on a rate card, get that stuff done internally? Is that a direction you guys are going in? Yeah, you could say we're an internal agency. You could say we are the best fintech marketing agency on the planet, of course, <laughs> right? Uh, being in Finastra. No, it's exactly the way um, you could see it. We are an internal agency and the business units or our friends from the business units come to us when they say, hey, uh, we have, I don't know, let's say a product launch or a campaign we want to run. We understand what the personas are. Um, uh, we understand what messaging is. We understand what, what the content is. Um, let's discuss what would be a good execution strategy. What, what are the channels we should go after? What should be the cadence? What should we, uh, should the budget be? What should be the metrics we're going to measure? And coming back to a creative vision, what could be a creative or a format or a channel that sets that apart, that makes that stick out? What is that? It's probably not the 20th Getty image that you use. Yeah? It's probably something else. But then again, being horizontal, you have to tie that together. You, you got to make sure that over time, the four we use don't do completely different stuff uh, that's not completely crazy. Yeah? It still needs to be consistent if you look at, at your LinkedIn feed. But that's exactly the way uh, how, how it runs right now. Let's talk about data. The implication with drowning in a sea of sameness and, and yearning for creative vision. And we mentioned it a little bit at the beginning that, that we've slightly lost our way and we're slightly over-focusing on data. And by definition, data is almost always backward-looking. There's no leading indicator side to it. What do you think the risks companies run are if they focus too heavily on data and not enough on creative intuition? So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think data is important. Yeah, these days, you can't do marketing without data. You need to... Proof value. I'm a big advocate of data. We have a CMO dashboard where we measure our top 10 right now, top 10 metrics for top of funnel. Then we have our top six metrics, middle of funnel and top four metrics, bottom of funnel. We measure all that conversions, all super transparent, of course. Yeah. But if you limit your added value as a marketing lead, as a marketing executive and organization on managing the data and interpreting the data, I think you miss a trick. I think marketing still has the task to do something creative that sets an organization apart. Because if marketing is not doing it, who would do it? The CFO wouldn't do it. The COO wouldn't do it. The CRO wouldn't do it. Nobody would do it. It's the task of marketing. And that's kind of the, I'm not sure if conflict is the right word, but the conflict of a data-driven marketing function and a creative take to it. Because creative part, as said earlier, might come with some risk. It might not work because it's too different. People can shoot it down in a second saying, hey, how much pipeline are you going to generate with building your own streaming channel? I don't know. Nobody has done it before. Or if you don't know, we kill it. Yeah. So I believe if, if the focus, like the 200% focus on data, over time it killed slowly creativity. And also what I'm seeing is um, a lot of the creative teams I'm seeing in some of the companies I worked for, a lot of those jobs were almost outsourced to like pretty junior designers that would be limited to, hey, here's a template, here's a, a picture database, um, bring something together, something like, like a creative mastermind. I don't see that too often in, in organizations anymore. They probably got cut over time. I definitely want to talk about an awesome creative vision, which is Finastra TV. Like how on earth does a financial technology company decide it's going to create its own TV channel? It all started obviously during pandemic. 
and it started what I said earlier. I clicked on on an ad from a competitor. And I said, oh, it's got to stop. We got to do something different. So we got a few smart people in the room. We discussed, hey, what could we do to tell our stories better than we do today? And in the past, we told our stories in, I don't know, ebooks and white papers. And um, yeah, fun story. When I joined Finastra, I don't know that like 10, 20 white papers to read through it, to prep myself. And uh, I'm now there for two and a half years. Still didn't finish white paper one because my attention span is like, it's like a minute, you know, for half a page I, I pass out, I can't digest it anymore. So he said, well, it's probably not written text. It's probably video. You know, let's let's go the way that Disney uh, went to tell stories. Let's make videos. Let's, let's really bet on video content to tell stories from our customers, from our ESG initiative uh, uh, initiatives like financial inclusion or fighting bias or uh, financial education. And let's do that. And we said, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's put, 10% of the innovation budget on, on videos. But then the next question came up, where do we host those videos? And everyone said, oh, of course, it'll be YouTube. Of course we put it on YouTube. And then we went to our YouTube channel and we just played it through and see how the customer journey felt like. And uh, obviously you got ads, then you got uh, a promotion from uh, videos from competitors, then you got distracted by other videos that were featuring cat content, which I can't <laughs> hesitate to click. And, and after some time I said, I'm not sure if this is the right platform to almost waste the cool video we're gonna produce. Why don't we build the Netflix for the financial services industry. Why don't we build a streaming channel that brings together thought leaders uh, from payments, lending, treasury, universal banking? We said, okay, let's do that. We looked around a bit. Um, if there's a packaged uh, application, there wasn't, so we had to build it ourselves. We run on Drupal, so we, we did that uh, with the help of an agency, and we built the channel out. So what's the benefit of the channel? The benefit is we can place first-party cookies because it's our digital entity big advantage with the death of the third party cookie whenever it will happen. <laughs> so major advantage. Uh, second advantage is we control the digital user experience and we can integrate it with our corporate website, which also runs in Drupal. I'll give you an example. We see that somebody comes um, or somebody comes on Finastra TV, watches a video on green lending, uh, then goes to our website. We understand that person based on the cookie has an interest in green lending, comes to the homepage, will find more information on green lending or vice versa. Starting from the website, maybe the payments section goes to Finastra TV, we feature payments videos. So that's that's the nice part of the integration. And what we could also do, and I really um, uh, love the way that that turned out is, um, we said we, we have our streaming channel and we're gonna function like Netflix. We're gonna produce a different series, payment, lending, treasury, et cetera. Each series will feature around 10 episodes. Episodes should not be longer than 20, 25 minutes because of the attention span issue I'm facing. Yeah, If we have speakers that are a little less entertaining, we do a little bit more with like illustrations and play a little bit with data, do that kind of stuff. So you can watch a different episodes. When we promote content, we start the promotion on a serious level, like the lending series, similar to Stranger Things or Breaking Bad. Uh, then we promote the individual episodes, episode one, two, three, or four. And then we zoom into an episode and take snippets out and promote that. And what we are trying to do is each year to launch another season. So it's lending season two, payment season, season two, et cetera. So that worked out quite nicely. Um, a big, big benefit of the platform as well. And then I shut up, I promise. No, no, keep going. <laughs> if you register for like, you can watch two or three videos for free, then you got to register. But you don't register for a webinar. You don't register for a single video. You register for the channel, like with Netflix all the content unlocks. And that means with each um, episode, with each series we add, you get actually more incentive to sign up 
because you get access to all the great content. My mind is literally blown. <laughs> there are so many, you might have seen me writing notes. There yeah, are so yeah. many things hitting my mind here. One of which is, and I hope the people are responsible are listening. So back in the day in 2008, 2009, I was trying to build a cloud product based on Drupal to allow businesses to create their own TV channels. Is that true? Using Brightcove as our, as our CDN. Yeah. Dumb. We had, Break off is always streaming. Uh, it? Okay. So we had this vision to create this thing called Cloud Channel, which would allow anyone to create a TV channel. And do you know what? No one's done it until you mentioned, I've got all tingly all over, but what you're doing, I think, is A, amazing. Talk about a creative vision. That's B. And C is like properly the future. Nuts and bolts, though. When you create a season now, do you drop them as a box set like they do on Netflix or do you schedule them over weeks? Both. If we launch a series, it needs to have 10 episodes. And that's quite an effort to produce that. If we do that, then it's launched as a new season. But what's happening in between very often is we have a great event and we have a great customer there. And we say, all right, we use the opportunity, we'll film the customer there. We launch an episode and we might add it to um, an existing series if the content fits. And then we promote it. One mistake we did in the past, we said, all right, we have a big event. Let's just use it. Let's build up three or four cameras. Let's film people on stage. Let's use the content, put it on Finastra TV. Uh, it didn't work particularly well because those presentations were, to, uh, were delivered to people sitting in a room that couldn't leave. And it would be on for like, <laughs> I mean, seriously. It's such a great observation there. Yeah. If you've got a trapped audience, yeah. you don't have to be particularly yeah, on it. It's, right? ex it's, it's absolutely that. If you've got 45 minutes, to take 45 minutes, even if it just takes five minutes what you actually wanted to say. It's like with those American business books very often where you could say, okay, everything I need to know, you could put on, on three pages, but they had so many um, uh, examples that it fills a big book that you can spend money for that. It's similar. Yeah? So we, we put the content on, on Finastra TV. Engagement was super low, super low. We saw that people, were uh, tuning out uh, or closing the, the player after a few minutes because it was a person running around the stage talking stuff not coming to the point so we don't do that anymore what we do is we use events as a vehicle we say all right we have 10 15 great speakers there internal externals customer whatever thought leaders we build up a studio and we say the presentation you just held on stage 45 minutes please do it in 15 minutes or 20 minutes and what i find super interesting is for most of the speakers, it's a relief because they say, you know what? I have to make all that stuff up to fill 45 minutes. I don't need that much time. And then they talk maybe just 10 minutes, but it's super engaging because it's straight to the point. It's very direct and they understand nobody has time, so it needs to be condensed. Um, and and this, this is it. That, that works. And this is what we do these days. Production values, right? Right now, it looks like a TV channel. Obviously, the output is super professional. Was it always like that? Or did you start with minimum viable broadcast, if you like, and then iterate from there? No, we said we do high quality video production. There was a discussion, do we do like very authentic iPhone style videos? Um, but we said, no, let's tell great stories with proper production. We also have a proper production company, if I may mention them, yeah. Courage Media, really great. Hello Lloyd, if you listen to that. So they help us with the production. They do really good jobs, uh, great audio quality, uh, great video quality, great post-processing. So we said, no, it needs to be good quality. So through the launch of that channel, you've done something very different. You've managed to claim a lot of attention. Over a season, do you see a decay rate or, or are you finding you're yeah. keeping people consistently engaged? You see that over time. You see that uh, when you launch a series, uh, you get a lot of interest. Over time, it goes down. And what we do is we, we look at stats, we look at consumption data, and then we make decisions 
what content should be produced next. And again, it's pretty similar to what Netflix is doing. They see, oh, Stranger Things work particularly well or Breaking Bad, maybe you should launch season two or three or five or six. Yeah? Um, so we function pretty similar. Um, we, we look at uh, what content was consumed and then we try to produce more content that is relevant for our audience. But one of the biggest challenges we face is actually attention span. And not attention span in the sense of how long can I um, digest the video, but internal attention span for launching such a channel because once you launched it, everybody's very excited about it. Oh, there's a new thing. It's so great. And then over time it becomes commodity. And then people are like, oh, you know, um, yeah, Finastra TV, what's the next thing we're going to do? It's the same. And if I look back in my career, it was always the same when you launched like a corporate blog. Everybody's like, oh, I, I write content, write content. After a year, nobody would write anymore. So it's very important to do your media planning, your production planning a year or probably one and a half years ahead to make sure you schedule that and to keep that going because the most important thing for the success of such channel is consistent content releases same for podcasts actually uh, as well absolutely uh, absolutely so same exactly the same exactly you, you build same. your audience over time there absolutely. is there is no quick fix yeah and it, it won't work if you say oh i launched this, uh, a series now and then i don't do anything for the next two years and then i launch something again yeah we tried that it didn't work <laughs> <laughs> okay confirmation very good no, so look it feels weird talking about the future when we've just been discussing it but it is that time of the show now where we ask our guests to look forward and we like to phrase that around a quick and dirty pest analysis. So I'm going to ask you to think about the future, uh, particularly as it pertains to um, senior executives and particularly as it pertains to senior executives in marketing. With today's conversation as a lens, what, what advice would you give to marketers who want to capture a creative vision for their own businesses in the next 12 to 18 months? Like where do they start? Make sure you understand what your market, right? So that's kind of the foundation. Look what the competition is doing understand why there is the seam of sameness, what's the same stuff that everybody is doing, and then derive what you could do differently. And that can be many things. Yeah, It could be a channel, it could be a format, it could be text, it could be a provocative statement. But make sure you spend enough time on your creative vision to formulate that. And you don't need to do that for each and every campaign, but for your flagship campaigns, for your big umbrella campaigns, make sure you do that. And one thing um, I, I learned in the past, uh, when you work on a campaign, that's pretty detailed now, yeah. but when you work on a campaign, you work on the assets and uh, the activation channels and all that, make sure you spend enough time with the creative team on the creative concept for the campaign. What's the creative concept for the campaign? What are the visuals we're going to use? It's going to be illustration. It's going to be pictures. Are there certain colors we're going to use? What's the creative concept of a campaign? And very often in B2B marketing, this is kind of like dropped. Just make a ticket for the design team. Oh, I need um, a creative for LinkedIn that promotes a white paper and then they, they do something. It's a stock image out of Getty, isn't it? You know, I'm guilty if of you're that. Lucky, it's Getty. If you're lucky, it's If you're lucky, yeah, it's probably one of the free ones, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a show. I don't know if you could feel the energy and enthusiasm as we started getting into the meat of the show today, but oh my God, I absolutely loved recording that. Now, there were two things in the second half that I just got to focus on. And as always, we'll write full show notes on unicorny.co.uk and there will be a bridge show notes on this pod platform. The first thing is marketing transformation. It is the trend that we're starting to see in enterprise. Now, we run uh, short interviews before people come into the studio, and, and we kind of mentioned marketing transformation in that short interview, but we didn't go into any great detail. And so it was really interesting to me to hear that the trend that we're seeing centralizing and decentralizing at the same time using technology to underpin a more command and control approach to your brand but a locally enabled execution 
that's what we're seeing in enterprise and invariably there's some type of internal agency which changes the relationship that big brands then have with their external agencies agencies like the ones that work in our group and i'm going to come back to that theme of marketing transformation because i think that that is going to be one of the big defining changes that we see in how marketing is done over the next few years but what really struck me in the second half and you probably got it from the animation in my voice is what they're doing with finastra tv to have that boldness of vision to have the braveness to commit not insignificant resources to creating a whole tv channel and the way they've executed it is literally astounding Uh, you can probably hear i'm lost for words even now he's just walked out of the studio and i'm still blown away by the approach they've taken how how closely they've modeled the success of tv channels and how they think about their content production and its distribution if you're looking to sail out of a sea of sameness allocate 10 percent of your budget to innovation give your people freedom to think the unthinkable your job Come to work with a creative vision and inspire your colleagues to greatness. I'm sorry to say that that is all the time we have today. See ya! You've been listening to Unicorny, the antidote to post-rationalized business books. If you've enjoyed the show, why not hit follow? We'd love you to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and it only takes a few seconds but it means a lot to us. Or if it's easier for you, please recommend us to a friend or post on LinkedIn tagging at Unicorny. I'm your host, Dom Hawes. Nicola Fairley is the series producer. Laura Taylor McAllister is the production assistant. Pete Allen is the editor. And Ornella Weston and me, Dom Hawes, are your writers. Unicorny is a Selby Anderson production. Now, go win the future. This episode is sponsored by Selby Anderson, the agency group that helps businesses operating in complex markets win the future. Selby Anderson's agencies serve global clients in financial services, enterprise tech, channel, industry, utilities, pharmaceutical and biotech. If you want to win the future, find out more at selbyanderson.com.